Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 680. Science Faction, billions of snow crabs and eating seaweed. I, uh, I, uh, obviously I, I got the notes, looked over the articles and, um, the second one I find surprising, the first one, well, we'll get to it when we get to it, but, um, I figured I, I kind of wanted to share this with you before we get started. All right. Um, uh, this is, we this already was, started, but fair enough. Uh, no, no, no. Okay. Uh, edit this out. Just edit okay. this out. Uh, All right. I'm about to say the N word for okay. like 30 minutes. Like, yeah, and if you edited this out. It's your um, usual sound check. Okay. <laughs> it's a needlessly offensive sound check that uh-huh. you do for yeah. some reason. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, I was thinking. I was watching Pulp Fiction recently, uh-huh. and I was like, and I and like you know, remember that Christopher Walken scene? Of course, like everybody remembers that Christopher watch. Walken yeah. scene. Yeah, the watch and the ass scene. You know, my grandfather. Blah blah blah. Yeah, and I've been in the military. And let me just say that was, and I was like, that is not reflective of most stories. If anything, that is reflective of like what most people will say they did in the military. Mm. Like, yeah, you know, I had this, you know, I was behind enemy lines. You know. Sure. And then you know uh, we're a, we're the Iraq generation. Imagine like how much more trumped up it was for like the the World War II generation, sure. the Vietnam generation, et cetera. You know their their stories, their battles were D Day. They you know their 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 tall tales had to keep up with that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was no internet to fact check them, so they were like, "Yeah, I won D Day. It was me. I fought Hitler with with my fists, <laughs> and they won. And that's yeah, how we won. We need a kangaroo boxing match. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Hitler's kangaroo versus my kangaroo." And I was thinking, like, if this, like, happened today, you know, the, the far more realistic version is, you know, like, you know, the Christopher Walken's, you know, he's, he's, he's brought up with this reverence for the watch. Yeah. But then, like, when his dad dies, uh, Christopher Walken's died, Bruce Willis is in the office, and he, like, looks at his dad's record, and his dad was, like, a cook yeah. in the army, and so was his grandfather. Hey, to be fair, so was Steven Seagal in Under Siege. <laughs> a gross mischaracterization. Of what being a cook in the military is like. Let me just say, yeah, it happens. Most cooks, like, it's like being a cop and having to draw your gun once. Yeah, yeah most cooks, at some point in their career, if they've had 20 years, will have to defeat a terrorist on their own. Sure. But 99% of the time that they've been a cook, yeah, they've never had to do that. All right, so you're Christopher Walken. You're, um, and I think that if you find, like, uh, at the end, you find out that uh, he just kept the watch in his ass because he was a pervert. Okay. And and never had anything to do. And I was like, that is a way more realistic. I've been in the military. That sounds way more realistic <laughs> than literally than the story you hear in the movie. Or you just you you like kind of want to. You're like, I want to give my son a gift, but I don't want it to be great. Like it should smell bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> my father didn't even care enough. He stuck it up a friend's ass. <laughs> he paid a homeless guy to stick it up his ass. Somebody even... lost a bet in beer pong. <laughs> Put this watch up their ass. Oh. I just love the idea of like finding out that your father and grandfather weren't decorated war heroes. Uh, they were just perverts. Cowardly perverts. <laughs> Stolen valor. Oh, and speaking of the guy with the watch up his ass of this show, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. With me, as always, is my comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. David, how you doing this afternoon? Doing great. Or the dad's up front with it. So I kept this uncomfortable hunk of junk up my ass. Weren't you a cook? Yeah. But um, there's not a lot to do out there, like when you're deployed. So yeah, I would, you know, like this is, this is, this is before Adelbead, Sonny. 
Like, yeah, I didn't figure. Also, like, if you've never worked in a kitchen, especially like a big industrial kitchen, it is messy. Now, to be fair, I hadn't thought this all the way through because you know what else is messy? <laughs> <laughs> And if you're wondering why you're hearing this now a little bit later than you might usually be, it's because this was released first on our Patreon feed. Normally, we release a, a brand new separate episode that you guys don't ever get to hear on our Patreon episode. It's got four extra episodes of Science Faction every single week. This week, because of an archaeological emergency, I literally only have time to do one episode. It takes a long time. It takes... Bobby, we found the Ark of the... We found the Ark. Kinda. <laughs> kinda. A little bit of that. Uh, it usually takes like eight to ten hours to write an episode. It takes another, you know, a half hour or so to record it. And then it takes uh, two to three and a half or so hours to edit and finalize and post it and stuff. So there's a significant time involved in it. But it's all planned for and I have that, that part of my life planned away. I, in the last 48 hours or so, have had two separate archaeological emergencies. Which most people, like most of the time doesn't happen in, in my career a lot. But it did. One of them, I got a call that... It was like, hey, we released a bunch of water out of a reservoir and it uh, washed away the banks of a river and it eroded a, a pre an unknown prehistoric site. And we need you here saving it immediately because it's going to wash away. And the other one happened like hours ago when I'm, I was I had an archaeological monitor down at a project and he called me up and he's like, a big piece of heavy equipment just like fell into like a hole, like three feet into the ground. I looked in there and it looks like a tomb or something like a cavern and i went out and sure enough there's like a hole into what appears to be a feature that was like a water cistern or something like that regardless i want to spend the next five days neck deep in dirt possibly down into a an old septic line or something so i am going to be nowhere near a computer editing or doing anything for for quite some time now that that is unfortunate, but I got a little bit excited because whenever there's an archaeological emergency, like Bobby just described the two most boring things he has to deal with in these archaeological emergencies. But keep in mind, fans, he does get this call. I'm not going to say rarely. It's more than it's it's not quite often. Fun fact, whenever you uh, like a greedy contractor builds a development on top of a graveyard, for sure. example, Bobby is the one that they'll have to call as an archaeological emergency in the middle to seal the portal to the underworld. Yeah, it's a, that's it's just a, part of his job. Poltergeist instances. There's actually a checkbox on my timesheet for them just because they take so long in OT. You you see like scrolling down Pet Cemetery. No. <laughs> Greedy contractor didn't move the bodies. Check. Without revealing too much, I'll just say if that was the case, there would be a lot more poltergeist activity based on a lot of the ethics of home builders that I've seen. Uh, dear, but uh, if in general you would like a whole extra episode of Science Faction with four extra science articles we don't even talk about on this show every single week, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can search Robert Timothy on Patreon. But for now, let's get to these science articles with, I guess, science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. Okay, Bobby, mm. an archaeological emergency happens. Yeah. Your phone doesn't blow up. Do you get a bat signal? Is there something else? Is there, is there, does your can, does your uh, can, treehouse can blow up? Like what? There's a, just somebody shoots a stone-tipped arrow into my door, and I'm like, I am so glad my child was not opening that door at the time. There's a scroll, like a ninja <laughs> scroll attached to it. Uh, dear article number one, what happened to 10 billion snow crabs? I saw this, and um, is, the, um, is the answer we're, we're destroying the ocean? 
Is that basically? I, I didn't you read know, all the is. evidence. You're, kinda, you're, you're really, <laughs> really fucking spoiling the ending on this one, you asshole. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Hey, when you start the Sixth Sense, do you just like when no one's watched it before? Do you pause it right beforehand and go, "Hey, you think he's dead? You think maybe he's the dead one?" Yeah, okay, you start an article out like, oh, we're missing like like 70 trillion snow crabs. Is it quite possibly during the mass, is it the mass extinction event that we report on weekly here on this show? Oh, and by the way, fun fact about the sixth sense, I guessed what the guess that he was dead and I turned to my buddy, our buddy, like 30 minutes into the movie and it's like, he's dead, he's a ghost. And bam. <laughs> this is before the internet. This is this is just an intuitive pain in the ass child. I had only seen the movie twice before, so like you know, good for me for for maintaining that information in my head. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I fell asleep the first time. <laughs> Uh, dear. So this is a very interesting slash sad slash demonstrative mystery. We've, t- we've talked a little bit about kind of wipeouts of the ocean and stuff. This is really interesting. So snow crabs live in the uh, northern latitudes. They can live in the northern Pacific or the northern Atlantic. The mountains. Uh, not not a lot of the mountains. snow in the, in the water. So you're going to have to. Yeah, they're underwater mountains. So I guess they could live there. And they live along the Bering Sea Ridge. They, they have a wide, comfortable range. It's, they can live from like six feet down to like 7,000 feet down in the water. But most importantly, they like cold. And it's not that they can't survive higher temperatures. They can. They can survive up to like 40 something degrees. But it's not survival. The issue is that with this type of crustacean, the lower their body temperature, the less food they need because their metabolism is slower. And when you just go from like zero degrees up to like three degrees, when, when you just go up that amount, basically at that point, the amount of food it needs like doubles. And so they're in this homeostatic environment. And what happens is every year, the ice that forms in the Bering Sea, at least for these ones uh, off the Bering Sea, the ice that forms uh, on the Bering Sea melts and then it forms that cold water falls to the bottom because, you know, cold things fall and it falls to the bottom and forms these little pools of cold water that these crabs congregate in and that's where they kind of grow up and that's that's their life cycle. Both cold and base drop. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beats as well, I suppose. It's, I, I heard about that Megan Trader song. It's all about that cold drop. Yes, um, it didn't test well. She, she, they invited another artist. They rearranged some lyrics, and that's how we got that beat. So in 2018, the population of king crabs in the North Pacific actually boomed. It got quite big. And then all of a sudden, it seemed to fall off of a fucking cliff. And now a paper out this week seems to indicate why that happened. So here's a quote. In 2021, crabs of all ages declined and habitat shrank substantially. 2022 saw the most drastic decline in the Bering Sea snow crab population, decreasing from 11.7 billion in 2018 to 1.9 billion in 2022, a decline of approximately 84%. The decimation of the crustaceans population spurred the closing of the Alaska snow crab season for the first time in history, an industry worth approximately $160 billion annually. End quote. First of all, I love the fact that they actually use decimation in, in a proper term, which is to take away 90% of the population. But that is shocking. Like, that is insanely shocking. Even if you were to account for the fact that 2018 was a higher population than normal, so there was a little bit of a boom there, to lose 90% of the fucking population is crazy. Lucille Ball is also a decimate because a mate of Desi Arnaz <laughs> is... 
I'm sorry, I got lost now that I love Lucy Rabbit Hole. <laughs> As we all do occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this conveyor belt's going too fast. <laughs> How are we ever going to stomp all these grapes? <laughs> Yeah, you know what? That's you know, I love Lucy uh, references way better than uh, Happy Days references. How dare you? Way more relevant to How today's dare you? Just because we're not playing I Call BS doesn't mean you can break the rules. These are rules for life, Damien. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm too busy jumping a shark right now. What'd you say? <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, and by the way, again, it's so bad that they literally had to close the fishing season in 2022 to 2023, which is absolutely insane like if you imagine what that loss is uh both in terms of food supply and and money and the ability to just you know people to go out and do work and make a living and stuff like that that's absolutely insane alaska is a, a, a state run by oil and crab fishermen yeah. for them to make this call <laughs> for you to ignore the powerful crab fishermen lobby yeah, and by the way, this isn't like the Alaskan king crabs, which you know you see for like deadliest catch and stuff, and this is one of the most profitable industries, and blah 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 blah. But Alaskan king crabs actually do eat snow crabs as one of the or like one of the major predators of it. So this decline will probably have a reflexive decline in things like Alaskan king crab down the line as well. Really, really interesting. So there was a bunch of theories as to what could be causing this. Maybe it was overfishing, some kind of climate thing, maybe undetected oil spill, like all these types of ideas. Paper out basically just crunched the numbers. They looked at metabolism rates of crabs as the oceans go up. They looked at temperatures over the 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022 seasons. Remember, 2018 and 2019 saw some of the first ice-free winters of the Bering Sea we've ever had because of climate change, so you didn't have chances for those ice areas to melt and then go down to the bottom of the sea and become those cold pools at the bottom of the sea that the crabs like to be in. So these crabs were up in... It's not like they just like died because it was too hot. Again, they could survive the temperature. What, what happened, at least what we think, is that never happened, so the crabs' temperatures were slightly up, so that meant the crabs' metabolism was way up, which means they ate way more because there was that boom in 2018. A bunch of crabs eating way more, two to three times as much, uh, all of a sudden just completely wiped out the food source and basically all of them starved to death. So like, while we were up here going through COVID, there was this fucking Lord of the Flies crab genocide going on in the Bering Sea that we didn't even fucking know about until later. And it's basically destroyed an entire fishing industry. I, I would imagine it's not unlike if, like, a, the band Fish did, like, a surprise show in a town that wasn't prepared for, like, a bunch of, like, hungry stoners. Like, a concert, like, in the small mountain town. What they would, would be, like, happen locusts. to the local <laughs> stores? Like, the fast food restaurants couldn't be staffed. No. The candy <laughs> aisle of the local supermarket is just wiped out. <laughs> People are eating black licorice because there's <laughs> nothing left to satisfy their munchies. And like every other thing we talk about with climbing the climate change, there's usually snowballing effects. So, for instance, on top of the fact that we have this decimation of the crab population just because of, you know, a warming ocean causing them to eat more and go and starve to death, that's those same warming waters actually helped progress the development of certain other fish species that preyed on these. So there was also more predators around, yada, 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 basically completely wiped out this population. Who knows if it will ever recover? They had to cancel the fishing season literally just so they're like, hey, we would like to have a few crabs next 
year at some point and you know we'd like them to not go extinct so literally nobody can fish because if you do like three boats will wipe out the entire population forever so let's you know let's let them rebound a little bit absolutely crazy and it also fits into a bigger picture that i've been talking about on this show for a long time which is i have talked a lot about overpopulation before and i've heard otherwise rational people kind of scoff at the idea because they believe like we're gonna figure it out before we get too overpopulated but as i've said it's not that we're approaching overpopulation. It's that we as the human race have already passed that point. And we don't notice it because we charge on a credit card that we don't have to pay on. Because when we farm, guess what? Corn doesn't last that long. So if we farm, if we want corn, we got to farm new corn every year. So every bit of corn we have, even if we're you know putting CO2 in the atmosphere, blah, 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 we got to grow that you know sometime in the last year or something like that, maybe 18 months. Well, it's not pickling your corn, Bobby. That's true. You sound like... <laughs> That's true. So like a man who's never had pickled corn. And if God. we want to, and we raise cows and we kill them in the course of like two or three years. So like, you know, basically every year we got to have a new cow cycle, a new everything. The credit, that's, that's like a reoccurring balance. That's paying your rent. The credit card that we are not paying back is the fisheries. And seven out of 10 human beings on this planet get most of their protein from the sea. And we are not replenishing those fisheries. We're wiping out entire fisheries. We're wiping out entire groups of fish. And in this case, this is like a very concrete example. Now, again, this wasn't from overfishing. This is from climate change. And obviously overfishing played some part in it at some point in the, the recent past. But like, this is, this is more of an issue of Think of if we relied on those snow crab legs the way we rely on other marine resources and they were suddenly gone. We lost 84% over a year. You would be talking about, again, a huge portion of the world's population basically starving to death because we're fucking overpopulated. Because we're charging on a credit card that we're not replenishing. Every time we pull those fish out of the sea, we're not doing it in a way where we used to, where we go, hey, look, there's a huge ball of fish. We're going to throw down a net and catch half of them, and they'll be replenished themselves within, you know, fucking five months because they're fish. No, we take the whole goddamn ball. And the problem when you do that, when you do that with weight, when you do that with fish, when you do that with fucking snow crabs, is that eventually there's not going to be any for the next generation. And that fall off means that all of a sudden you go from something that supports a huge percentage of the population to something that's not there anymore. And it's not corn. We can't just clear another acre of forest and plant more of it. When they're gone, they're fucking gone because we haven't managed them properly and they're not, they're not a farming asset. And so this is, to me, kind of one of those puzzle pieces that hopefully helps people see, like, when we talk about things like overpopulation, it's not something that's in the future. It's something that's happening now. We just don't feel the effects. The effects are something that are going to be generation or two down the line. But we make no mistake. We are charging on that fucking credit card. Yeah, but we're charging on the credit card. But uh, I think like my game plan is like, yeah, you know, like we, we kind of thought that there'd be more opportunity. We thought that, you know, uh, uh, we, we, you know, we'd be able to pay off a credit card. But don't worry. I'm getting heavily into insects, which are the crypto of this world, and that is how we're going to buy our way out of this. Now, I do like the insects thing. I do think there's a lot of potential there. I think that might be one of our saving graces. But, and you know, I mean, technically crabs are crustaceans, which are kind of basically just a form of sea insect anyway. But uh, we're talking about something like snow crab, which is kind of a luxury item. It doesn't, you know, supply a huge percentage of the food for any given population. 
But what happens when instead of 84% of snow crabs declining over a period of a couple of years, it's 84% of cod or, or a major fish resource salmon, anything that we use that feeds a tremendous amount of people like we're going to have some real fucking problems. And this is why when we talk about population, we're not talking about it honestly, because if we're talking about it, honestly, we talk about what we could do in terms of supporting populations now in a sustainable fashion, taking half of that ball of fish. And if we were to do the real math on that, then our population would have to be, I don't know, like two or three billion lower than it currently is. Not something we're going to hit at some point in the future, something we passed by in like the 1800s. Or, listen, uh, Bobby, are you, what you're saying is true, but I'm looking at the plus side. I'm already investing in, like, how to cook grasshoppers and make them, mm. like, so that when these restaurants come out, I'm I'm the first one with buffalo grasshopper. Bam. <laughs> uh, article number two, Europeans have been eating seaweed for a long time. But not ass, and I think that's the problem. Uh, if you're an ass in, in Europe, you're begging. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah I, that's not true. That's They're, not true. I think they Germany, got... Germany triples our ass eating output every year. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that's small developing nation. <laughs> small developing nation. And that's only on Belgians. Like that, Belgians. Like that's not even on their own countrymen. Like that's just a small percentage of the ass eating they do. Yeah, that's at the, the Germany-Belgium border. There's a, there's a unique custom, let's say, <laughs> to get across. It's like when you kiss each side of the cheek in France. <laughs> just tongue in the middle uh so this really interesting article came out surrounding ancient european diets and it has a really interesting claim which is that seaweed and other water plants were commonly eaten in the mesolithic all the way through the neolithic all the way through basically medieval times even though we have assumed for a very long time that that was only peripheral poor people food through essentially all of written history and all the way back probably to the Neolithic. So let's go over all the evidence, everything they found. Very, very, very interesting. So as even as far back as like the 1700s, seaweed was considered poverty food. Like that was, that's for the poor. Don't fucking eat seaweed. That's, that's, a, that's a crazy food. Don't eat that. That's, that's really, I'm trying to think of the modern day equivalent of what it's it's ramen maybe but no now we have fancy ramen shops uh okay maybe maybe yeah it was just considered this thing that you didn't really eat and we just kind of like applebee's chilies like something that something that (laughs) that a like literal person who grew up in just a modicum of wealth would never do is is like eat it like an applebee's or or something or like an arby's like there's a certain like restaurant level that they'll they'll, they will not this is more like extreme this is you know what it is it's eating out of the garbage. That's what this is. It's like, is, is there perfectly fine food in the garbage? Yeah, but you don't do it unless you're, you really need to. That Yeah, that's a good eating out of the garbage. That's what seaweed was. And we just... Yeah, you assume- mean, because Warren Buffett will eat at Applebee's. The, mirror, the Oracle of Omaha will... He eats at McDonald's every morning. <laughs> See, but like fast food, McDonald's is the pinnacle of fast food. So I don't consider it... So you need is to go it? to like the bottom of fast is food. It? And if you're talking... Yeah, oh, I mean, a fast food... I mean, if it's, if, if it's a fast food, it's a consistent, reliable burger... The fries are good. It is like I'm not, fast. Like, fast food is the uh, McDonald's is the best of the garbage tier of food. Huh. It's, I'm gonna have to think about that. I don't know if I agree with that, but regardless, it, yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll call it eating out of the garbage. It was basically even if you look back to the records of the 1700s, it was something that you basically didn't do. It, it was almost uncouth to do because it was it was just such verboten type of thing, and we just assumed that extended all the way back 
to farming times. And anytime we found seaweed in a lot of archaeological contexts around the sea and archaeological sites, we would oftentimes say, oh, this is something they were using to wrap their food. This is something they were using for, uh, for fertilizer, to feed the animals, blah, 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 blah. But a recent study came out that shows that actually seaweed was really widely used in the Mesolithic, which is basically before we hit the Neolithic, which is when we get farming and stuff like that. It was used well into the Neolithic and, in fact, was used well into medieval times, into the historical record. Uh, and it just didn't actually make it that much into the historical record. And it was probably used throughout Europe pretty extensively as a food source up until like maybe 800 to 1000 AD, which is really impressive given what how mistaken we were about it. So, Damien, how do you think they figured this? out how do you think they found out that we were actually eating seaweed for a very long time uh they finally just started using their brains i mean like like really they they i've solved this right now hmm. how many times does royalty do a prince and the pauper like situation literally like a couple times a month hmm. nobody knows there's no publication nobody knows what the prince looks like sure you can, you can swap yourself out with with po- poverty at any time it's, it's like uh going slumming sure Nothing about that surprises me. Being being wealthy like now, you leave, you eventually leave like a, like if you're a billionaire, you'll leave like a hollow life. Like a, like that's amplified ten times in the Middle Ages. You would have to sneak out of your house, replace yourself with a pauper from your local uh, uh, municipality, and yeah, eat seaweed and just just to stave off the the, the boredom of uh, of luxury. And then you know you probably stood a really good chance of getting sick eating the top foods because they didn't live with refrigeration like or like boil their water. Like you yes, could, that's true. You could die of food poisoning. He didn't even know about like microbes causing disease. So you had a lot of a lot of strikes against you. I mean, seaweed to its credit has a lot of vitamins. It's really rich in iodine. Certain types are really high in vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin C. So like the, it was a, a really important nutritional source. And I'm not sure exactly what caused it to become so verboten. What they actually found, the way they found that so many people actually did it, is they looked at the skeletons of people who ranged from the Mesolithic areas era. So you know. 11, 12,000 years ago, all the way up through the medieval times. And they looked at the dental calculus. Now, this is a really interesting part. This is what gets scraped off when you go to the dentist and they do a tooth cleaning and they bend out that little like drill and they, they chip off the stuff at the bottom. Then you run your tongue over your teeth and it feels different. You've removed the semen. Yeah. Thank you, doctor. Well, so here's the thing. That's actually a record of everything you've eaten over that time period. And if you don't go to the dentist and get it, you know, buzz drilled off, you essentially, it's like just painting over the inside of your house over and over and over again. And you could cut through the layers of paint and see what color it was five years ago. It's the same thing. You can look through those layers of any given skeleton in the pre-dental era and figure out what they ate all the way back to their, you know, when they got their adult teeth in. So back to, to when they were like six, seven, eight, nine or something, you you can see the dental calculus from that time and examine what it's made of. And in this case, they were able to tell that there was a significant amount of seaweed in all of these groups, including ones that weren't particularly close to the sea. So this food source was important enough that it was imported inland and also other water plants that were not that were freshwater based were, were heavily utilized. And of course, they should have been because they were great sources of iodine, great sources of vitamin C, great sources of all this stuff. And by the way, food in a very food scarce time. And the question is... I, uh, let me pose this to you, Damien. Why don't we eat seaweed now? We do in the form of kelp, which is broken down into. I, I would imagine just because we have better we have better food. Like we we we're not the we're not in feudal times. We we don't need to just go out and gather kelp along the uh, the shoreline. There's other cheap for, uh, forms of food lying all around. Sure. sure. Okay, that's a good point. Also. 
you're racist, Damien, because the answer is you do in Asia. And actually, in Asia, seaweed <laughs> is part of a staple diet. It's only in Western diets that we don't, that we just kind of would be like, what? What are you fucking talking about? You don't eat seaweed. <laughs> That's just the stuff that washed up on the beach. <laughs> I would like to remind everybody one of the biggest stories we've covered on the show that we highlighted was the fact that certain forms of seaweed can be fed in part. Not even this is all you feed them. Just put a little sprinkle of this into cow feed and reduce methane emissions by cows, which again, one of the biggest sources of methane, reduce cow methane emissions by like 90% just by pouring like a teaspoon of this stuff into cow's food. So it's also like super useful in other ways. And to this day, you know, Damien and I live a few miles from the ocean. Uh, I was just working on the ocean early, like 6 a.m. this morning. I was just out, another archaeological emergency out on the ocean. And I look it out. <laughs> I'm picturing Bobby at the shore lane with the wrench. So I'm just working <laughs> on the ocean. <laughs> Seeing if I can't get the gas mileage. I was just out there and there's kelp cutters and you can look out and see kelp cutters out there cutting this kelp for, you know, you know, spewing carbon out of the atmosphere, cutting it so it doesn't come ashore and then taking it out and like burning it somewhere. So also so it doesn't come ashore. And it's like, that shit's useful. Like instead of a boat going out there, let's just let it come to us. Let the ocean give it to us as our gift. Let's cut it up and feed it to all our cows and apparently our people too. Instead of throwing this shit away and spending a bunch of carbon resources getting out to it and burning it. I I, I was always led to believe that like uh, growing up, that was one of those like elementary school factoids. Did you know that uh, kelp is used in ice cream and other fucking foods? I I just figured those kelp cutters were using it for industrial reasons, not to make like swimming less icky. Um, <laughs> by the way, uh, when you're mentioning like how we test uh, like teeth, you know, you can uh, yeah. before the dental era, you can just do that. That just sounds like a German like uh, Grimm's tale like. Yes, uh, there is, did, you know, let me tell you the story about the boy who lied about eating sauerkraut. His parents suspected him of lying so much that they would cut open his teeth and examine them. <laughs> and, like, it just, it just, it, they had a really, like, European-German uh, uh, tale to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I also liked your point that, undoubtedly, you could tell somebody in the you know, historic record that was giving tons of beaches. Like if, if you were, <laughs> if you were, let's just say if you were blowing like a whale, you know what I mean? Like if you were just really going at it all the time, then like there's going to be some record of that in your dental calculus. And there's going to be some grad student looking under a microscope. And he has that moment where he looks up and goes, my God. <laughs> so, you think, so uh, how'd those tests come back called Charlemagne's teeth? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody must ever know <laughs> that Charlemagne's perverted past. Well, I'll, I mean, I don't want to get too detailed in this, but I've thought a lot about this. I mean, again, I'll spend like a, sometimes a do distance survey or something like that, and I'll have to camp overnight or we'll do something where we'll be out for a few days or something. You know, you come back, you, if you're a place that doesn't have showers and stuff, and you come back after like three days, and let me just say, everything about you smells as in, and is in bad shape. And if that was just your life, if your life was like, you know, a bath a few times a year, if you're lucky, I just, I don't understand how even the most brutal forms of dictatorships in the past could have had BJs as a regular form of sexual. It just couldn't happen. I, I, I sincerely, this is my belief, and please, please, science, prove me wrong or prove me right so that I can have faith or no faith in our ancestors. My theory is that um, uh, there was no uh, oral sex before sanitation, unless it was like a form of punishment yeah. or like uh, in like a dungeon. There was no oral sex pre-showers or, or desperate pre, hunger. Pre 
<laughs> Which, by, by the way, you're right. Like, smell a homeless guy. Like, a homeless yeah. guy is somebody who, like, doesn't shower, is like, yeah. like, out there sweating in the elements. It is a unique type of... That's everybody. That is that is Queen Antoinette with, like, lavender sprinkled on top. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, even, like, regular sex would be just too close to another naked person with their, like, smell coming from everywhere. And by the way, a time when we didn't have, like, bidets and you know, even Charmin or something. Like, come on. And, and, and by the way, everybody has diarrhea all the time. So everybody's yeah. always just like, like, they, like, like propelling themselves with, uh, with, with uh, Crohn's disease down the street. Oh, and by the way, there was nary a pube ever cut before 1908. You know, so like, the, also we got a lot of smell adhering to bush particles. Yeah, I, I mean, just crotch, so you know, crotch stank. Like, like, oh, I've been working in the field for like a couple days. I was in the army. Crotch stank is something unique. And that's that's not even saying that I have dysentery at the time. You know what, Damien? I think we have the roots to a very good paper right here. It's <laughs> the origin <laughs> yeah. of oral sex. We're going to call it <laughs> cleanliness is next to horniness. <laughs> this is this is a TED Talk call. This is how we get this is how we get uh your every your Joe Rogans into science <laughs> is through these TED Talks. I, I think this is how we get 13-year-old dudes to shower more, I think. Is, is the real, when they put to it, they're like, oh, this is the secret. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you're also an advisor on like a prehistoric porn. Nobody would have been going downtown yeah. before this. Sorry, guys. No. And also, listen, on the set, yes, consent. But in the film, I mean, not so much. Now, I'm willing to let go the pube situation and how trimmed it is because uh, I don't expect, you know, the, we, we're not, we're, we can't, I don't expect us to CGI a pubic mane onto this. <laughs> but the consent thing, we cannot budge. Uh, dear, thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Action 680, where you learned all about what happened to 10 billion snow crabs and how Europeans have been eating seaweed for a long time. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 681. Well, since uh, crabs are no longer a thing, uh, the deadliest catch is no longer them. It's actually syphilis. Syphilis has been promoted to the deadliest catch. Congratulations, syphilis. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs>